is the Future of Journalism podcast, and I'm Caitlin Mercer, Associate Director of the Reuters Institute Fellowship Program. Let's meet our guest for this episode, Robin Vinter, a news reporter in the north of England and current journalist fellow at the Institute. Welcome, Robin. Hi, thanks for having me. We're tackling a huge elephant in British newsrooms today, the underrepresentation of working class people. We'll share some facts and figures, some real life stories, and we'll look at whether there are any concrete steps you could take to make your organization a more welcoming environment for working class journalists and contributors. This is not a problem to tackle instead of diversity and inclusion. This is part and parcel of the diversity and inclusion problem. And if you have any lingering doubts about why this matters, it's because representation is not just a moral imperative. A 2018 report by Deloitte suggests that organizations with inclusive cultures are six times more innovative and agile, eight times as likely to achieve better business results, and twice as likely to meet or exceed financial targets than organizations with less diversity in the workplace. And the bonus journalism benefit you get better access to the communities you're tasked with reporting on. The Diversity in Journalism report based on 2021 Labour Force survey data and published by the National Council for the Training of Journalists found that 80% of uh, people working in British newsrooms come from the top social classes. That figure was up from 75% in 2020. How does that compare to the population? Only 42% of all UK workers had a parent in one of the three highest occupational groups, which is one of the key determinants of social class. Only 2% of journalists have a parent in the lowest two occupational groups, compared to 20% of all workers. And only 5% of journalists have parents in the skilled trades occupations, compared to 21%. So there is a real representation problem. But what you don't get from the numbers is the human impact. And that's why we've invited Robin to have a conversation about what those numbers translate to in real life. You started a WhatsApp group for working class journalists. Can you tell me when you started it and why? Hmm, I think I might have started it maybe four years ago, which seems like a long time, but I think that's probably about accurate. I think something might have set me off that day. I can't remember what it was. It was maybe a column in a newspaper or something. So I messaged all the working class journalists that I know. And I also posted on Twitter just asking, you know, because uh, that's the other thing as well. It's all right for me to add the working class people that I know, but, you know, when you don't have any kind of networks, uh, like, you know, networks from school or university, sometimes um, you end up kind of excluded from this kind of thing. So I posted on Twitter um, and had a few responses and added people I didn't know to it. And we've become like fairly good friends. Sometimes we'll send each other links to things that have been written and we go, oh, my God, have you seen this? And sometimes we do a long voice note where we blow off steam about something that's happened in the office we're not happy about. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's quite a good forum for uh, support and discussion, really. In preparation for this podcast, you asked um, some of them if they would be willing anonymously to share some examples of why British newsrooms sometimes do not feel inclusive of working class people. Would you mind sharing some of those? Yeah, so I actually, we, we talked for, for a few hours about, <laughs> about this once I started asking. 
Um, you know, I, I started off with an example. Sometimes you might get sent to do a food bank story. It, that might be because you're a very good journalist and you're very good with people. Or it might be because somehow you seem to fit in a food bank environment in a way that a posh journalist doesn't. Um, and then the other end of the scale as well, you know, there might, a job might come up, you know, that's interviewing the Home Secretary, for example, and it might seem more appropriate to send a posher person. Um, and that starts from kind of intern level or, you know, junior reporter level or trainee level sometimes. Um, and you can't, you know, you can't prove any of this and you can't necessarily even put your finger on it sometimes. Mm. But it's just, you know, like a lot of elements of kind of discrimination. It's one of the, it's it's very difficult to really be able to concretely say, you know, this is, this is classism. But, you know, I've, uh, my friends kind of responded with their own stories. Uh, one of them said uh, he, he, he's written a book and he gets comments from middle-class people, middle-class colleagues, mm. you know, surprised that he's written a book, for example, and he said uh, that one co one very middle class co-worker said, you wrote a book in such a way that she was shocked and then proceeded to explain over me to some to someone else exactly what my book was about. <laughs> um, she And again, he wasn't exactly sure that it was classism, but he said, you know, she's the kind of person whose eyes glaze over if anything ever comes up that's related to class. Um one person said that they've been asked to do risky things in the name of journalism because, uh, and I quote, we came to you because you're from a Scouse family. So I used to getting up to no good with the law, uh, which is wow. really bad. <laughs> and now, interestingly, she works in an international newsroom now and said that she is kind of free of free of that. And actually, she's kind of considered the posh one, uh, which is quite nice. And I, that is something that I felt while I've been here you know, at the Royce Institute, because everybody else is not from the UK. It's just quite a nice break from it and from, from second guessing yourself. And, you know, if, if someone makes a comment, think, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, that is that, a, you know, a classist comment? Was that something with a, you know, was that about my background? Um, because it's, because it's not, because, <laughs> because the class system is not really such an issue in other countries or at least, not in the same way it is in Britain. Yeah. So somebody said that there was a real gap in a newsroom that she worked in. There was a real gap in knowledge about what ordinary people would know and understand. So uh, when writing articles, they'd refer to things and expect the readers to already know, you know, who these people were. So it might be like a literary reference yeah. or something like that. And she felt like she was constantly going mad because she would have to explain that, no, not everybody will have heard of this person. I, yeah. I think you've said a couple of times now, uh, yourself not being sure and feeling like you're going mad. And it sounds like there's a lot of psychological pressure within the wheelhouse of what might be called gaslighting because yeah. you're just not sure yeah. and the conversations aren't being had. Yeah, a lot of it's interesting actually. A lot of a lot of working class journalists mentioned to me about having imposter syndrome um, mm. and feeling like they don't belong. And 
you know, that I think that's probably a very natural reaction. Yeah. I had the opposite reaction, really, when I when I started working in journalism and, and especially going into kind of the, you know, national newsrooms and, you know, I've worked for a lot of different national newspapers. But I had, I guess, like reverse imposter syndrome where I, where I, it was like um, I couldn't believe that I had worked so hard for so long and sacrificed so much and been so thankful to have finally broke into journalism mm. and look and expected that looking around in the newsroom everyone would be incredible and super smart and super on it and super hardworking mm. and amazing people and actually a lot of the people weren't like that at all you know they were never even that enthusiastic and maybe that's why that's how I survived in the industry mm perhaps because I didn't actually feel like I was not meant to be there I had other people are imposters syndrome I think I know I think what you mean. that's the problem with me trying to articulate this it's like I want to talk about it but I don't want to talk about it okay if that makes sense because mm. the real problems with classism and working class you know the lack of working class people in the media Mm. I, I wouldn't actually know about them because I'm here. <laughs> mm. And, you know, the real stories to be told are the people who aren't able to tell them because mm. they don't have a platform, because they didn't, because they didn't make it. Um, you touched on the problem of the definition of working class people. And I wanted to talk a little bit more with you about that because... Uh, one in five Britons who earn over £100,000 a month when asked to self-classify said they were working class. Um, so, in other words, people earning in the top 6% of all households are self-identifying as working class. How are we ever going to measure how many working class people are in a newsroom if people are self-defining in that way? To me, it's actually very feasible that that you could be earning that kind of money and still consider yourself working class. Especially if all, you know, if, if you still live in the community that you grew up in or you live in a working class community or, or you know, your family and friends are, are working class. Um, I don't actually think that's too, that's too much of a crazy... I mean, people do take it take the term to mean whatever they want it to mean so you get people who you know because their granddad worked in a factory they consider themselves working class i think when it comes down to actually measuring it on any real level self-identifying might not be the best way to go i think broadly speaking it's the it's the best approach mm. um but there comes a point when you've got to you know, look at, for example, what your parents did for a living. Right. So in terms of identifying um, what working class means so that we can track it, because you have to have the data before you can define the problem and then start implementing the solutions. Um, perhaps one way to do that then is to say to your staff, this is how we're defining it based on, for example, whatever the labor force um the labor force survey defines as as the, these key markers like the occupation of your parents and and then asking people to self-report based on that yeah giving a definition and asking people whether they fit the definition 
makes sense or taking some data about parents occupation or you know their someone's postcode at mm. age 14 or you know because uh, actually in this country we have we have data about levels of deprivation by postcode it's quite granular data it's not perfect but that's the kind of thing that that can be quite useful we wouldn't even need to bother people with uh please fill out uh yet another survey for exactly. hr what are the assumptions that are made about you that are incorrect based on things like your accent your tracksuit what are the biases that need to be addressed so the social mobility foundation has done a lot of work around the concept of polish yeah. and often working class people you know they may they don't make as much money or them they might not be promoted because they lack polish mm. what's defined as polish is uh, a middle class way of being mm. uh, and that's the default mm. and anything that deviates from that is not is seen as wrong or not appropriate mm. so for example wearing sportswear in the newsroom right that would be seen as something that's not appropriate I don't know, actually. I don't know the answer to that question because I am not a middle class person. And I, I feel like maybe that's something to ask middle class people. You know, if I just don't know. Can I have uh, a, a guess? Yeah. As an outside observer, that it seems to me like you are not you personally that one is being regarded as, at the most basic level, um, you can't be as intelligent as me because you aren't wearing the white clothes or sounding the right syllables. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, or at least that's the impression that I sometimes get. It's so insidious because it's it's not, it's not, I, I don't even think people are aware that they no. think that. I mean, sometimes people are aware that they think that, but I think it's so ingrained in society that it's not even something, that, it's not even a thought that people might notice mm. that they have. I want to start talking a little bit about solutions. Um, what would a working class journalist need in a UK newsroom uh, to feel a sense of fairness and respect? A lot of the problem happens before people even make it to the journalism industry. There are a lot of things we could do in terms of recruitment to improve working class representation in newsrooms. Having 98% of new journalists, you know, having a degree is, is, one, is one way of filtering out a lot of working class people who would be great journalists. Because you don't need a degree. You don't need to write a dissertation. Yeah you know, to be able to be a journalist, you need to, you need training to be a journalist. Right. I, I think, and I actually think we have it the opposite way around. There isn't enough, there isn't enough specific journalism training. So for example, the NCTJ is specific journalism training and you can do it as an apprentice. You can leave school at 16 and you can train to be a journalist. And that system works really well for recruiting working class people. What we've got at the moment is kind of the opposite of that, where we have the barrier to entry is you have to complete a very expensive degree in which you do you do all these things. You have to support yourself financially to even get to that point. And you have to write a big, long academic dissertation. Mm. 
in most cases. And it's just not, it's not something that even that someone who is good at journalism would necessarily be mm. good at. Um, say a manager is ready to throw out the old system, right? So yeah. here you've identified the blockers, they're structural. Um, stop looking at CVs for what university did you go to and what degree did you get? Um, what should you be looking for? Well, when I when I uh, ran a startup news organization, it was very small, but we were almost all working class. Brilliant. And I didn't ask for a CV. In fact, I specifically requested don't send a CV. And if they sent a CV, then I ignored their application. I, I gave them like basically a simple exercise. So I asked them to write, have a go at some headlines for an article and to pick out what they thought was the best quote and and that was it um and you know if if they if what I got back from that made some sense then I invited them in I you know I I wasn't interested in what university people went to and actually if anything I was more interested in the people who didn't go to university. They were great. Like they, they were practical people often. They had their perspectives yeah. that weren't often seen and they added so much. Mm. And I think sometimes people who go to a very good university are very good at doing certain things in a certain way. Yeah. And they don't necessarily think outside the box yeah. because actually thinking outside the box is not that like useful when you're apply, you know, getting good grades and applying for a good university. Right. So yeah, so that's one thing. I think um, I think we re you've really got to address any internal biases that you might have, and like yeah. everybody How do we do that? will think, "Oh, I'll okay." So the problem with that is that it's very, very hard to do mm. in the society that we live in because we live in such a classist society. So you know, just the other day I was watching, I started watching a, a sitcom that was full of really appalling classist stereotypes right. and classist tropes so this the family in this in this sitcom were portrayed as being uh lazy being kind of scroungers the the mum in the sitcom said she didn't work and the joke was that she said for obvious reasons or something I, in my condition and it wasn't clear what her condition was mm. so there was like a notion of that maybe she was some kind of scrounger yeah. um like a, la a real lack of ambition um in the sitcom the working class characters were a kind of foil for the uh, almost like a prop for right. the middle class people uh, oh and immoral as well and and you know we as an industry have so far to go on this stuff so when we talk about a newsroom culture that more than one class, ethnicity, sexuality, etc., gender, can feel a sense of belonging in, mm. what does that culture look like? Okay, so I guess it depends on the newsroom. Right. There, there are places where there, isn't, there is actually probably no benefit to them or very little benefit to them to extend their bubble further than it already is and the kind of benefits that you'd get through that they won't necessarily get because they are targeting a certain audience and that certain audience is is defined broadly by class 
So I think disregarding those kind of situations, yeah. you know, let's, okay, let's take a well-meaning newsroom that really does want to have a more representative staff mm. and do better content and get more readers and, you know, get a broader range of readers. Okay, so that I, there's a real tangible benefit to having working class people in the newsroom. And it's about discussions that you might have internally about the kind of content that you want to do. It's about being able to speak to different groups of people. You're going to get loads of really good ideas yeah. for stories because because of that. And I think it's it kind of comes down mm. to that. It's like there's just a bit of a desert, like there's just a bit of a right. gap when writing about working class people yeah. in the newsroom, they're like, oh, you know, cost of living crisis, what can we do? Uh, food bank, you know, or, or universal credit, you know, and the same ideas have been recycled over and over because there's nobody in that newsroom saying, oh, well, actually, these are the real problems. And actually, I was speaking to someone the other day about yes. this. And, you know, this is what's actually happening. I think that's it. And I think we have really poor media literacy in this country and quite poor participation from people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and that's purely of our own making um that's purely because we don't do the kind of content you know it within journalism that they that they want to read right or they, sure. we, don't, we don't talk about them and you know that's it it's the recognition from the newsroom we're not going to get these stories. We're not going to get the story right. We're not going to tell every aspect of the story without your contribution. And again, that's going to require a conversation happening first. Like, hey, what background are you from? And feeling actually safe and open in this environment to say, oh, yeah, my um, my dad works at Asda. Right. My dad works at Asda and I identify as a working class. Okay, great. Now I know that I can come to you and talk to you for a perspective on this thing. But if that conversation isn't had, then nobody wants to make assumptions. So there's just this sort of weird tiptoeing around the conversation and not having it. Yeah, but I think we're so far away from being from people really being able to Oh, you know, a lot of people really been being able to be honest and being able to say that in most sure. newsrooms, you yeah. know. And I think it it has to be a, a culture shift within the newsroom. That's not something you can ask your staff to do. Hey, please make this place feel open and safe for everyone. It's it's, it's literally it has to come from leadership where they've shown a commitment to addressing this issue um they've invited contribution uh, there's uh, been a willingness from the leader themselves to be aware of their bias in themselves and in the system that they're curious about the different cultures that people are coming from and different life experiences that they're bringing to the table that they themselves are culturally intelligent because they've had these conversations um, and that they're then creating the conditions for these conversations to happen safely and openly so that working class journalists can feel valued for their actual working class backgrounds. I actually, what I think is actually that we don't, that we already know what what the implicit okay. biases are and we already know what is and isn't classist. Mm. The problem is that some people think classism is okay and that's, that's where it yeah. starts. 
So, you know, when someone makes fun of someone's accent, it's not because we don't have the words to describe, you know, making fun of someone's accent. It's be- it's because no one ever said, don't do right. that. Is this an example of where you would hear, oh, it's just a bit of banter? Yeah, exactly. If there's training that needs to be had, the training needs to be, we are a newsroom that when people do this, we call it out. Okay. And that's the way we make it more inclusive. It would be very easy for people to get out of this by saying, oh, like, you know, we don't know what class means anymore. Yeah. You know, people have always made fun of each other's accent and I wouldn't mind if someone made fun of my accent. And But I think deep down, everybody knows mm. that it's not appropriate. You, you're right. You're you're 100% right. And, and yet there's a contradiction in what you're saying. Because on the one hand, you're saying we shouldn't have to have these conversations, you know what's wrong and right. And on the other hand, you're saying nobody wants to talk about this yet. We don't want to talk about this yet. It's too soon to have these conversations without it becoming really, really awkward. And there's something in me that's wondering if it's so difficult to have these conversations because we're worried about shaming people if we have these conversations. And having that concern, oh, will that person feel uncomfortable or ashamed if I ask them if they're working class or middle class, presumes that there is something to be ashamed of in being working class. It's morally neutral, or it needs to be, it should be. I think it's actually kind of more complicated than that as well, because it's like, people will agree that there's absolutely nothing wrong with being working class. But it's seeing those working class identifiers Mm. uh those identifying characteristics Mm. as something other than being working class Mm. that's where the problem comes from i think a lot of the time when people mix up something that's an identifier of of class Mm. with something that seems to be a personal failing Mm. so for example lazy yeah so like it if like scrounger Um, unintelligent yeah there's so much shared understanding of class Mm. that doesn't get said that actually trying to say those things now Mm. is actually quite hard you know it's quite hard to do that kind of thinking yeah if i were to summarize key takeaways for me what i've learned from you is that it's really really key that despite how awfully painful and awkward the conversation is we do need to create safe spaces where people from different classes can come together and genuinely just have a conversation about what those implicit biases are because until you've heard that verbalized you're going to have a very hard time confronting implicit bias in your workplace to the point of actually fixing this problem I think you're probably right. Yeah. The good thing is I've, I felt like there, there is an appetite, yeah, you know, a lot absolutely. of appetite in this industry to improve yeah. things. And, and I, but I think the problem is that nobody's done any thinking whatsoever. You know, sometimes I've been asked before, you know, oh, what, how do we know when someone's working class? What do we do about it? And it's like, well, you know what the problem is, mm. really. You know, if you if you spend five minutes thinking about your organisation, you know what the problem is. You can find a way to solve it yourself. Like you, it doesn't need me to 
you know, write a framework where, you know, it ticks all these boxes, you know. I find it quite difficult sometimes to have this conversation in a a really kind of open and genuine way Mm. when I feel like often I'm being asked questions from people not not in this conversation right now <laughs> but I mean I'm, I'm being asked questions sometimes from people in news organizations that haven't made even the smallest effort to address it and seem somehow you know are, are acting like they're baffled yeah by how this has happened so yeah so I think I think that's maybe why I'm why it's so difficult to articulate it and why it's so difficult to give yeah advice yeah you know in body positivity they have the sentence all bodies are good bodies yeah what would that sentence be for class? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Is there like a class positivity oh, movement? Do we need like a Jamila Jamil? Can you be our Jamila Jamil for like class positivity? Start a movement? I feel like people have what they think is class positivity, but I don't. I feel like oh I feel I like know. the working yeah. class have class positivity. I feel like the middle classes and the upper classes uh, need to get on board the damn train. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Robin, I want to thank you for actually articulating really well the problem where you think we can start looking for solutions. Thank you to those of you who stayed with us. Our guest today was Robin Vinter, Northern England correspondent. And you can follow our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. If you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter bio or on our homepage. Thank you for listening to Future of Journalism. I'm Caitlin Mercer, and we'll be back soon.